0: Welcome to PR for Humans with me, Mike Sargent, the show for the best communicators in the business. I'm using their insights in the book I'm writing about how to cut through. Do follow me on Twitter at PR for Humans, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Visit my website sergeantleaders.com. You spell sergeant just like the police and the army do. Today, Zoe Thorogood. Zoe was special advisor to Eric Pickles when he was in the cabinet, I got to know her well during that time, as I was local government correspondent at the BBC. She's worked for the Conservative Party as a press advisor to David Cameron, and she's currently with APCO, the huge global communications consultancy, where she's worked for clients on both sides of the Atlantic. She's about to head back to Westminster once more as Chief of Staff at Conservative headquarters. So, here's Zoe Thorogood. Zoe, it's been a few years since we were on opposite sides of the fence when I was um, on the lonely and thankless beat sometimes of local government correspondent at the BBC and you were working with with Eric Pickles. Um, So just bring us up, before we go back to that time, just bring us up to date. What are you doing right now?
1: Um, So firstly, lovely to see you again. Um, Yes, it has been a few years. So I'm currently working in communications um, for a firm called APCO. Um, We are a DC headquartered firm but we're a global firm we've got about 30 offices around the world um, and I started my kind of time at Apco as a director over in DC um, where I was lucky enough to work with our founder Marjorie Krause. Um so I, the thing I like about Apco is it's a female-run firm which sort of ticks a lot of boxes for me and it's the largest independent PR firm in the world and um, so we're not tied into very complex you know multi-company sort of structure so it keeps it very flexible and um, part of that flexibility was allowing me to come back to London when I started to get a bit homesick. Uh,
0: you, you say it's important for you that it's uh, a firm led by a woman. What, why Why is that? Is, is it because we're, we're in a, a business world that is still so male-dominated?
1: Yeah I think so. I think that it's just very inspiring to work for somebody who sort of founded the firm a long time ago and, and Probably at a time when in DC, which is still a very, very heavily male orientated environment, particularly in the political world, um, to watch somebody like Marjorie, she's really a pioneer, um, come up sort of against all those barriers and, and fight through and create this this company, which you know is is employing, um, I think it's about six seven hundred people, um, you know, around the globe. And one of and, the biggest, yeah, the biggest, yeah, independent, ones, independent as you say, one, yeah. yeah so. Um, yeah it it is inspiring to me as as a woman to to work for another woman in in a position like that um you know how did
0: you learn from her about the the art and and craft of of public relations
1: marjorie is the true sort of she's the most fantastic networker i think i've i've ever met um but behind her networking skills she's also got the incredible ability To really work with clients to understand very complex and in depth problems and advise them honestly, um, which I don't think you necessarily always get in all forms of communications advice. Um, I think sometimes in our industry there can be a bit of a tendency to say what people want to hear all the time uh, rather than tell the truth. And what I got from Marjorie is she's very good at telling the truth. Sometimes telling people maybe what they don't want to hear, but usually is the right advice. Uh, And I find that very interesting.
0: Yes, because so much of PR seems to be designed to please the client rather than... to to reach the audiences that they actually need to reach to do the things they want to achieve.
1: Yeah, and I think in certainly what motivates me um, and why I get out of bed every morning is that, you know, I want to do the best for my clients. It was the same when I worked in politics. I wanted to do the best for Eric. I wanted to do the best for the party. Um, And I genuinely believe that with that, you have to be honest with people. And sometimes that can mean having very difficult conversations um, and telling people things that they may not like. But ultimately, I think if, if you stick to your guns and you are truthful, you'll always end up in a better
0: place. And Let's talk about your, your time with Eric Pickles and, and indeed politics more generally. I mean, when when I was, as I say, on the other side of the fence, you were always someone who was available and I was able to have coffees with you, talk to you, pick up the phone to you and ask you questions. And if, if you could answer, you would. Presumably, those are, are things that you think are very important, the the, the the ability to be available to, to journalists and to to others in this in this network.
1: Absolutely. Um you know, working with Eric was was a privilege. Um it was fantastic fun. I very much enjoyed working with you and your other colleagues at the BBC and indeed, you know, other journalists. I think I love talking to people, I love communicating and uh you have to love that to, to do that job as a special advisor, particularly as a media special advisor. And A really important part of that is building relationships, personal relationships. So as you say, making sure that when I got the role, I came to meet you, I took the time to get to know you and you to know me. Then when you had queries, if I could help you, I would always go the extra mile to help you. Sometimes she'd ask me things I didn't want to answer or ask me for things I wasn't able to tell you. Um, But because we've got that trust and that relationship, you knew that I would give you everything I could when I could give it. And I think that that's a really, really important part of doing that job. And, yeah, my golden rule, answer your phone, answer your emails. Sometimes you're in a meeting, sometimes it's difficult, but you can't do that job and not be attached to your phone or your BlackBerry as it was in those days. Yeah.
0: And, this, and in this age of, of social media and, and accelerating technology, the sort of face-to-face meetings and networking are still vital.
1: For me, that's the key. Um, I work with a lot of juniors here, um, and I run a networking program here to get people out, meeting people, I literally think it is the number one most important thing to do is to build relationships. If you're trying to pitch a story, um, or if you're trying to handle a very difficult situation, um, it's absolutely key if you've got that relationship, um, that it's you know I feel it's going to go a lot better for you.
0: Yeah, and if you're in the middle of a crisis, that's not the time to introduce yourself uh, for the (laughs) first time and say who you are, who you represent.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, if you're pushing out a a story for a client proactively, it's a lot easier to pick up the phone to somebody you've had a coffee with or, you know, a, a glass of wine and say, look, this is what I'm pitching. I'm not sure that it's exactly what you need, but I've looked at other content that you've done. You know, I've taken the time to research what I think will be a good angle for you. This is the best I can offer. And all they can do is say "No" at the end of the day, but if you 're just sending a cold email don 't be surprised if somebody doesn 't read it or hits delete
0: yeah and I totally agree the the, the worlds of, of public relations and politics are so so closely connected what What, what do you see as the the key similarities i mean of course we 're all all trying to appeal to audiences we 're trying to get people either to to like someone to to buy their products or or to to vote for them in, in elections i mean what What lessons have you taken from? from the world of of politics that are applicable in in the corporate sector?
1: There are similarities um, and there there are differences. In terms of the similarities, I think, as you say, knowing your audience, knowing who you're trying to appeal to and who you're trying to reach is is key, it's very important. Um, I think it's also, as important as it is to know when you should be talking, it's also in both cases very important to know when to stop talking. Um, I think that applies more to crisis communications probably in politics than it does to standard kind of PR. Um, Information and the right flow of information is is very important. Factual accuracy is very important. Honesty, which I've touched on before, is very important. Um, So yeah, there are a lot of comparators, but I personally found the world's quite different. Um, I think. When your motivation for a client is based around the profitability of that company, those factors are quite different. When your motivation for working for a government or for an MP um, or for a political party, you know, you're just about getting votes. So you probably, uh, I, I, for me personally, there's a lot more emotion in the political side of things, but that could just be me.
0: Yeah, uh, well, emotion is is important, I think, for all... For all stories we want to tell but but for politicians it's, it's all, it 's all comes down to emotion. It all comes down to whether we you know whether we like someone it 's not just our analysis of how they 're performing and the policies and in fact, so little of what I used to cover as a political correspondent was about policy detail, so much of it was about. Personality, and that's where someone like Eric Pickles was able to to cut through because he had personality.
1: Oh, he it, <laughs> it, it, with he's got buckets of personality. He, I was very lucky. He's he's a fantastic, fantastic guy, and he was a great mentor. I learned a lot from him. But yeah, it was easy to work with him because um, he was energetic. He had so many ideas. He had so much passion, um, and you know, he was divisive in some ways. Um, he was unpopular. With some local councils who didn't like some of the austerity changes that were coming in, he was very popular with others. Um, but you know, you knew where you stood with him, and I think that that's possibly one of the reasons why he cut through pretty well compared to some others, perhaps. Um, and, I, and I mean this on, on both sides because there are good communicators on the left, on the right, in the middle. Um, yeah. it, and in it,
0: politics, what do you think? What do you think makes a a good communicator? We, we touched on personality but are, you've worked with, with you know, David Cameron and, and others who are who are excellent communicators objectively, look, looking at the way that they, that they perform, the way that they talk, and the way that they write. So, so what do you think are the key, key qualities that make a good communicator?
1: I think, and I hope I don't regret saying this, but I, I do genuinely think that in this day and age, particularly where, as you've touched upon, we are in such a... 24-7, social media, fast-paced environment, a lot of it does come down to image. And by image, I mean appearance, I mean voice, I mean body language. Um, now, it's not necessarily about if somebody's attractive or not. That's, that's not the point I'm getting at. But it's about having that believability, that open body language where somebody's going to believe what you say, you seem like you're telling the truth, you are telling the truth, and you've got that honest and open demeanour.
0: Um so are these things that in your experience people can, can learn, whether they're they're chief executives or spokespeople or or politicians, or or is so much of it down to to natural talent, the the communication gifts that you're born with, whether you're able to present yourself in, in an authentic way? Or or do you think there are, are tips and techniques that people can, can learn to improve?
1: I think that people can always learn and people can always improve. So um you know I'm a great believer in mentoring I do a lot of it here and try and help a lot of the juniors but honestly it's probably a bit like whether you're good at long distance running or whether you're naturally gifted at the high jump or for me being a good communicator comes probably from like very early in childhood and and how you grow up and how you develop and um, whilst you can sort of hone the skills I don't think you can create them from nowhere lots of people don't like particularly speaking on public platforms or giving interviews or and you know I think that if you look at somebody like Cameron and and Tony Blair um you know you can you can pick out with which MPs are are sort of good at it from the word go they're just naturals they're just absolute naturals at, at communicating with people and um whether you agree with what they're saying or not is, is a separate point but they've got that natural talent um, Yeah,
0: immense, immense confidence and, and, and charm but also they, they seem to have the ability to listen to people as well and, and reflect that in what they say, even if, even if they've made their mind up beforehand, they've got that kind of as you said earlier, that, that open quality and, and it's the appearance of openness even if the reality is you're not being completely open all the time because you can't be in politics or, or in business completely open
1: yeah, you can't. Um, we we have a little catchphrase um, of constant vigilance in politics, um, which, you know, does apply because I think these days, one of my frustrations actually is that we expect our politicians not to be humans anymore, and I, I struggle with that. I mean, it's difficult to see somebody that you work with day in, day out, who is a human being, um, and... I'm not just talking specifically about Eric, I'm talking about many of the MPs I've worked with um, that, you know, say something that perhaps gets taken in the wrong way or, you know, they've uh, seen uh, whether it's eating a bacon sandwich or yes. and, and actually, you know, the guy's just eating a sandwich and, and yet it becomes a massive story and a PR blunder. And, um,
0: and interesting though, Miliband, I think he's, he's become a lot more convincing and interesting since he, he left the job. And and almost the pressure of the, of the and the focus of being the leader was 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 too great, and now he's able to relax me himself. And he's he's very interesting, quite funny, quite 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 an interesting character actually, which we didn't really understand at the time.
1: Absolutely, I mean, I've seen Ed Miliband speak at, at various functions, and you know, one of the great privileges of doing my job was plenty of time spent at press gallery lunches or the like, which hard life, <laughs> <laughs> hard life. Um, but but actually, um, you know, you there get you get the privilege there of, of watching people give speeches and communicate, and you know, he was definitely somebody that, as you say, I, I think started off really well, but then kind of cracked a little bit under the pressure. Um, and it's it's tough being on twenty four seven. It's very tough. Um, I couldn't do it. I no, don't I think do you it. could do it.
0: do it. No, I much prefer uh, advising and, and reporting to actually being the person in the direct spotlight
1: me too and i think it's a shame because i think it's one of the issues that is probably putting off very talented people going into politics that kind of fear that they would have to be sort of constantly performing and and on message and and actually sometimes we're all human beings we all have contradictory opinions at times i could never claim i've agreed with every single conservative policy ever i mean i'd be I I wouldn't be human if I had and and that was one of the things I I liked about working with Eric and actually I think came across even in our dealings with certain stories Mm. where you would push me on a point and I'd say look I don't disagree with the angle that you might be taking this down but can I just point out our side of it and it's having that kind of reasoning that I think is also really important if you're in the political game or in any kind of communications game really and you can only see your point of view you're doing something wrong
0: yes that's right see see the perspective of others and that quality of empathy but also set against that the the importance in business and politics of believing in what you're actually saying having that sense of of purpose about what you do believing your own your own messages which uh, and and you're going back into the political world now so so that kind of calling is quite strong for you not just to um to do this as a job but to do it as a, a bit more of a calling as well
1: yeah, I I genuinely feel that I want to help the party, I want to try and make a difference. Um, my motivation, I mean as a journalist my motivation probably like yours was telling a truthful story mm. and getting the facts out to people. Um, my motivation in politics is the same, um, is, is telling our story and, and I stand by, you know, the majority of our positions on things and where I've been in a slightly different place on on certain issues, I am a big fan of the West Wing and there's a very good scene in the West Wing where um, I think it's Josh is, is tackling um, a Republican and saying, how can you be in this party when on this policy they're so wrong? And he says, it's much better to be inside the tent trying to effect change than be outside the tent throwing stones at it. Mm. And so that's my justification whenever... Friends or family ask me why do you want to do this? Why are you so passionate? We don't agree with this policy or this policy or whatever the issue might be. That's my argument to them, and at least I can sort of on my deathbed know that I've done my little bit to try and sort of make a difference.
0: Yes, I think that's that's a really important point, and and maybe not quite to the same extent in the corporate world, but I think. You, you can't work for companies and businesses that you, you just sort of disagree with their entire mode of, of being and, and way of operating. You've got to think they're broad you're broadly working with the good guys. Yeah, you might not agree with absolutely everything they do, but they're not the villains and you can't uh advise the villains very well, I don't think. Um just a final word on, on public public relations PR, you know, you mentioned your mentoring uh, to people uh, coming up through their careers here, I just wonder how you explain what the essence of of this business is all about. And I think a lot of people on the outside have have misconceptions, and they think it's a mixture of you know absolutely fabulous and the thick of it, or, you know, it's a, sort of celebrity champagne fueled parties and indulgent lunches and crazy political spin or whatever. But you know, what 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 is the reality, you know, and what, what what is it what is it like working uh, in PR? and what should people expect who are setting out on their careers in this sector
1: i think working in pr is very much like working in journalism you do not go and politics you do not go into this job and this sector if you do not want a 24/7 lifestyle it's it's all encompassing um and it isn't all fun parties and nice lunches and um you know i think for me one of the the main perks if you like is probably more the fact that you get access to extraordinary people um, and that's the same in journalism as well and for me that's always been sort of something I've been very privileged to do whether it's walking around the houses of parliament or whether in my PR role now as I was in Davos a couple of weeks ago getting to meet Malala and people like that that's a real privilege to me also spending time with CEOs or you know foreign officials from other government governments you're meeting people that have worked for years to get to the top of their craft or have generally done something in sh- extraordinary whether that's in business or the commercial sector so that's the perk for me that's kind of the good side but in terms of you know more generally what I think about the industry I think that it's very easy to dismiss uh, PR and write it off as lightweight and fluffy and something that people wouldn't miss but I can tell you when the proverbial hits the fan uh, and you get a phone call from a panicked CEO or a client um, who you might have been doing some light lifting for and they've got a major issue um, and most of which you know we can't talk about because we have to sign NDAs mm. they're so grateful for your advice and your help and your wisdom on how to control a story how to get the correct flow of information out at the correct time and if that element was missing I do think that there'd be a uh, people would notice pretty quickly.
0: Yes, and I think getting close to the decision makers and the leaders, and actually helping them to shape their stories, and I find sometimes then actually helping them shape their businesses. You know, so you, you, the story becomes the strategy, and the two the two um, are are very close in my mind, and, and and should be very close for all businesses trying to appeal to audiences. Zoe. Thank you so much for your time today and it's been a great conversation and good luck with your return to politics and we'll catch up again in the future to hear all about it.
1: Thank you so much. Lovely to see you again and um, hopefully my new role will be a a long-lasting one. (laughs) Good luck with it. Thank you.
0: I enjoyed catching up with Zoe. Whether or not you're a Conservative, you can really admire her dedication to politics, once again leaving the comfort of agency life for the rough and tumble of Westminster. I wish they were more like her. That's it for today. Please do listen in next time to the PR for Humans podcast. Thanks so much for your time. Goodbye.